Scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of, the wor- of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, Christ and God, and Christ is God's. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here uh, as your people to, to praise you, to, to, and especially now today to uh, start in uh, uh, celebrating the gift of Christ, uh, his coming, coming to earth as a baby. We uh, pray that the lavishness of that gift would never, never become commonplace or lost on us, but that we would just marvel at your love for us. Pray now for, for Mark as he brings your word to us, that uh, your wisdom would be imparted to us in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Happy December. I may be the only one, but December that is brown is not a good December. I need some white. That's why I moved up to Minnesota, so that I could have some snow on the ground, for crying out loud. But, you know, God is good, and He's Lord of all things, whether it's snowing or not, right? So I should just get over it. Anyway, all right, now that I got that out of the way, 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue in 1 Corinthians uh, throughout even the Advent season. Uh, today's message is, uh, from, from Scripture is, is a, it's a very practical message. A lot of it, not a lot, of it, some of it is repeating, um, but really what he's trying to, he's trying to get something very practically for the church in Corinth to understand. Uh, if we remember, they're, they're dealing with um, false teachers that have come in, but on top of that, they are actually quarreling amongst themselves, even true believers, and they are true believers. Paul calls them saints and brothers and sisters. They're quarreling amongst themselves because they're fighting over who's the better teacher, Paul or Peter or C, um, uh, Apollos. And, and Paul's point is to say, you're, you're focused on the messenger and not the message. You're, you're focused on preferences um, of style of teaching specifically of, of Paul. Well, you know, you should follow Paul. He's the better teacher. I mean, Peter is okay, but, you know, Paul is better. And Paul is going, what are you doing? Why, why would you say such a thing? Why would you... Why would you even think such a thing? We are nothing but servants. Don't follow us. Follow God. And stop quarreling amongst yourselves. And so he's, in this passage today, he's trying to bring everything that he has said leading up to this um, to lay down on top of the Corinthians and just say, you need to think about this. You need to think of the reality of how things are and what the reality is between you and God and who you are in God, where your identity lies, if you want to put it in more modern terms. And so his closing words from last week, Paul's closing words, are a reminder to the church, you are the holy dwelling place of God. You are the place where his glory and his presence reside. It used to be in the temple. 
but now you're the temple as the church. He's talking to them collectively as a church. And I said last week, later on, he'll talk about how individually we are the temple of God. But he's trying to say as a church, as a whole, you are the temple of God. You are holy. You are set apart to serve God. And should anybody attempt to destroy that temple, to destroy the holiness and the purity of the church, church, to teach false doctrines, which turn the church away from faithfulness to God, those false teachers themselves will be destroyed by God himself. They will destroy him, or he will destroy them in eternal punishment, in eternal death. And so this is a stark warning to the judgment that awaits these false teachers, but it's also a warning to the Corinthian church to say, why would you follow these people? Don't follow them. They will lead you only to destruction. And today's passage begins with the wisdom of the world and the foolishness of God, things that Paul has already addressed. And the passage ends then with him saying all things belong to the church. Now these may seem unrelated, but God's purpose in these words is to remind the Corinthians and then ultimately us as his church, those who believe in Christ. He's reminding them, do not boast in men but boast in the Lord. And so to lay this out, he first speaks to the futility of self-deceit. He says in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now that may sound like gibberish, right? If you think you're wise, become a fool so that you can be wise. It's not gibberish because the context of the passage is actually going to help us understand this a little bit more clearly because a text without context is a pretext for a proof text. One of my favorite sayings, right? You got to look at the context of a passage to go, what does he mean by wisdom and what does he mean by foolishness? And so if you turn with me to chapter one, as I get my old man glasses on, chapter one, Verses 20 through, 22 through 25. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we, that is, good teachers, true teachers, the apostles, Paul, Peter, Apollos, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what he's saying is that the cross of Christ, the gospel message of our need to be saved from the wrath of God for our sinful rebellion against him, is the foolishness, is foolishness to the, to the world. It's crazy talk. Because the wisdom of, in the wisdom of the world, they think, we are self-reliant, and so they reject the gospel of Christ. They reject the cross of Christ. See, the world sees themselves as good enough on their own. They don't need anyone, including God himself, to do anything for them. I am good enough on my own. And so the gospel is foolishness to them. But the wisdom of God is that he did send his son, Jesus Christ. We're celebrating Advent. That's the coming of Christ the first time. 
We're awaiting the second advent, but the first advent, he comes as a baby in a totally unexpected way. And the purpose he came, he sent him, was so that he might die the death that we deserve for our sins and that he would live the perfect life that we could not live so that we might receive an inheritance of eternal life in the presence of God and glorify him forever. That's why Jesus came. Not so that we could get presents underneath the Christmas tree, not so that we could have beautiful decorations, not so that once a year we could hear an Advent sermon. He came to save his people from their sins so that they might glorify God for all eternity. And so if anyone amongst you, among you thinks that he is wise in this age, points to those then who reject the gospel message. You think you're wise in this world. I don't need no God. I'm good enough. In reality, it's foolishness. But if anyone thinks that they are wise, they're actually deceiving themselves. Because one must become a fool in the world's eyes in order to become truly wise. They must reject the wisdom of this world and believe the gospel message. Why? Because the wisdom of this world is folly with God, Paul says. Meaning that rejection of the gospel message leads only to God's judgment, not to, not to eternal life. But how is rejecting the gospel message then self-deception? Because don't let anybody deceive yourselves by rejecting the gospel. How are they misleading themselves? When answered, because Paul anticipates that, well, to answer that question, he quotes two verses. The first is from Job chapter 5, verse 13, which speaks of God's greatness but also God's knowledge of the evil schemes of the wicked. The wise of this world believe that God is ignorant or unaware of their actions and thoughts. And the second is from Psalm 94, verse 11, which also speaks of how the wise believe that God does not know their evil schemes. And so Paul is trying to say the self-deception that's in these two passages is that in, in reality, nothing is hidden from God. He knows every thought and he knows every action of every single one of us. And in the context of 1 Corinthians, it's the false teachers who are deceiving themselves. They believe that God is ignorant of their teachings, but in reality, they are going to face the judgment of God. These are the fools to which some of the Corinthians were listening. And in essence, he's saying, don't be fools like them. Don't be fools. You think, you're, you think you're wise in this age. You're following these false teachers. You actually need to reject them and become ignorant in their eyes, become foolish in their eyes. Because what they believe is foolishness to God. These were the self-deceitful and unwise, these false teachers, which the Corinthians were boasting in and quarreling over. Paul exposes the truth of the wisdom of the world, the futility of their thinking, and the absurdity of the Corinthians for boasting about such people, which is why he says in verse 21, so let no one boast in men. There's that word so right at the beginning. That's really important in, the, in verse 21. He, he lays out the first couple of verses and then he says, well, why? So because of this, so don't boast in men. Why would you boast in men? Don't 
pride yourself in the fact that you're following teachers who are only deceiving themselves and deceiving you. Don't glory in these mere men, these mere mortals. Why? He says, because you belong to God. So do not boast in men. You belong to God. And there are great benefits to those who are His. And you say, okay, well, what are those benefits? And Paul says, everything. Everything. What in the world does that have to do with boasting in men? <laughs> they seem like opposite, right? or, or at least polar, not related at the very least. Well, the jealousy and quarreling within the church in Corinth reveals that there are different camps within the church body. This group follows this teacher, while that group follows that teacher as if the group itself belonged to that particular teacher, like he owned them for some reason. And this isn't just limited to the false teachers, because there are some who followed solidly biblical teachers like Paul and Apollos and Peter. Those teachers, or these teachers, are under God's authority. Paul, Apollos, and, and, and Peter are under God's authority and rule as much as the false teachers are under God's authority and rule, with the obvious difference being that false teachers are enemies of God while true teachers are servants of God. But neither of those groups are over God. And then Paul gets specific about what these all things are, the world or life or death or the present or the future. You see, the world fights to deceive the people of God, to work against the church, to discourage the church in its faithfulness to God. Life and death points to our mortality, the inevitability of our physical death. And the reality of this present age and its sinful rebellion against God actually causes the people of God to suffer, worry, and despair, just to name a few. And what does the future hold for the Corinthians? He's telling them eternal life not eternal death, eternal joy and peace in the presence of God, not suffering and torment away from Him. In essence, what, what, do, what belongs to the Corinthians? Everything, all of these things belong to the Corinthian Christians. These things no longer hold sway over the church. They don't lord over the people. Instead, it's the Corinthians who are over all things. Not because of any worth in and of themselves. Not because they are the wisest or the strongest. He's already dealt with that in previous chapters. They are lords over all things because they belong to Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the Lord over all creation. And Christ, Paul says, belongs to God, who sees all things, knows all things, rules over all things, created all things. Christ is the Son of God, and they are fellow heirs with Christ. That's Romans 8, 17. They are brothers with Christ, sisters with Christ. If you want to say, dare I say, co-rulers with Christ, obviously it's a little, Jesus is still Lord, so don't hear me say we're going to become divinity, okay? That's not what I'm saying. 
But we are given as adopted children of God all the rights that pertain to the inheritance. Everything other than divinity, and we can argue about some other things too, belong to us. But not because of us, but because of Christ. And this truth that all things belong to the church because of Christ reveals that their quarreling is petty and absurd. So don't, don't hear health, wealth, prosperity. Okay, I don't want you to hear that. Like, well, all things are ours, so I can do whatever I want. Or all things are mine, so if I just pray for it, then God's going to give me a million dollars, and I'm not going to have any issues. My health is going to be great. I'm not going to have any cancer. That's not what it means to have all things. And specifically in this passage, what, what he's trying to get at, again, is your fighting is petty. You're fighting over petty little things. To, to give an example, it's as if the church hired someone to construct a building, and they were all dividing over who was better, the plumber or the electrician. Uh, both are important, right? <laughs> they're both very vital, and they both have very different jobs, but they're both working towards the same thing, building the building. But you're going to divide over who you like better, the plumber or the electrician. Now that sounds ridiculous, right? That's Paul's point. Paul, Apollos, and Peter were all working towards the same goal. They wanted to glorify God and see, his, see him save souls. He says, I know nothing among you except for Christ crucified. His whole goal was to preach and to show and to live out and speak the gospel message to the Corinthians. But these men are but servants of God and servants of the church. The church does not belong to them. If anything, the opposite is true. These teachers belong to the church. And as far as those false teachers go, to allow their false teaching to divide the church and for the church to quarrel over them is ridiculous. Because their wisdom is folly to God. Verse 19. And they are under the reign of the Lord, whether they acknowledge his rule or not. And so such jealousy and divisions have no place in the lives of the church. If we believe in Jesus Christ, if we believe the gospel message, then the truth of, of, of the reality is we belong to him and nothing can remove us from his love. Romans 8, 38 through 39. You almost got there, Aaron. You were close. But he read that passage right at the beginning of our, ser our, our, um, beginning of our service. Verses 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may I make a connection to say, why? Because we are over all of those things. Because we are with and we belong to the Lord who is Lord over all those things. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We belong to Him and the reality of that, of who we really are as God's people, makes such quarreling and divisions silly. 
Now, don't hear me say, we've talked about this in the past, don't hear me say that the church should be unified at any price, that any and all divisions are sinful. We need to be unified. Just keep your mouth shut and just worship Jesus. Well, the reality is that, and many of you have been in churches like this, churches go sour, to put it gently. They start preaching false doctrines. Something slips in, the world slips in, and they start to teach falsehoods. The Word of God then starts to become something that you can interpret on your own and rather than, than wrestling with it and letting it interpret, interpret itself. Our desires, our, our wants, or how we view ourselves becomes the litmus test for how we understand the Word of God. And when we start to allow those things to creep in and we stood back and we said, and I think I've used this in the past, you know, about pews, that church that took out the back two pews and, and a couple families left because their seat was taken. What they didn't understand was all the pews were theirs. <laughs> and and to, to leave or to quarrel or to create division or to become jealous over things like that is, it's petty. It's silly. Can I say that? There are times when divisions are good, especially when it involves unbiblical teachings. But in light of the reality of our lordship all over things, to fight and to be divided over preferences such as teaching style, color of carpet, style of worship, pews versus chairs. I mean, we could just go on. How many times have churches just fights, not even divisions and splitting of churches, but just fights within the church? You don't speak with the right tone, pastor. Those are petty and absurd. And so the question we need to ask ourselves, are we, as a church, and you can bring it down into your own heart, I had to do that this week, to evaluate my own life, are we allowing petty differences to create a division between ourselves and a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Are we allowing the world to dictate What's important? Have we allowed preferences to divide us rather than unrepentant sin? Notice I didn't say sin because if that was true, then none of us would be here, but unrepentant sin. And if that's true, if so, then then as Christians, as believers, remember who we are as His church. We are called to glorify Him, not to allow our preferences to divide us. We should act like the church, not like the world. We should let go of those preferences and be uh, united in Christ, unified in Him, stand together against false teachings, strive to glorify God with all we are and all that we do, even imperfectly, stand firm on the truths of God, stand firm on the gospel message, 
and do not boast in men. Do not boast in the things of this world. For in Christ we are God's people. All things belong to us because we belong to him. And it's for his glory. And so you say, okay, well, what does that that do with Advent, Mark? Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins. Jesus sacrificed himself upon the cross so that we might have a relationship with God. He humbled himself, gave his own life so that we may live with God. And we're going to allow preferences to cloud that. And my hope, my hope this Christmas season is, well, every day, obviously, but for sure, like in this, in this Advent season that we would, we would stop, evaluate our own hearts, let go of things that are really unimportant. Now, if I'm up here and I'm teaching heresy, that's important. You need to deal with that. But if you don't like my tone, or Aaron messed up on one of the choruses on the guitar, the sound was, it was just too loud, the chairs aren't comfortable enough. I mean, we just keep going on, right? Like, well, the decorations are nice, but I wish you had something else. Can we let go of those things and be reminded in who our identity is found in? It is found in Christ. We belong to him. and We belong to him for his glory. And so will we live that out? Or will we act like the world? And point people to preferences instead of the gospel. Father, I pray that these words would hit home to us in our hearts that we would truly be, God, reveal our hearts to us, that we'd be honest with ourselves and that you would be honest with us. Expose, expose those, those things that maybe we've been holding on to with our brothers and sisters that have created this division, created this quarreling. Can we let go of those things, Father? Help us to to do that and remind us, remind us, God, what our identity is found in. It's found in your son. It's found in you. And because you are Lord over all creation, we too are, all things belong to us. All things because of you, not because of our greatness. We are weak when you are strong. We are foolish when you are wise. We are nothing and you are everything. And yet, God, because of you, you have lifted us up to a position that we do not deserve. And yet you gracefully, graciously and mercifully gave it to us. So may our lives, Father, every day, but especially this Christmas season, as we, we remember your Son and coming and you sending him to earth as a, as a tiny child, that we would not get caught up in the things of this world. We would not get caught up in preferences. We would instead get caught up in you and that you would 
change us, strengthen us, so that we might let go of those things and just glorify you with our lives, with our hearts, with our minds. You know all things, Father. And so may we be changed and may we remember who we are and not allow petty and silly preferences and differences to get in the way of that, Father. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our final song together?